in an ideal world, we want to give at least like three months or so and like the minimum. So depending on what your level is of health, you're pulling a one from there and then you get pregnant there. Like it's not a one size fits all for pregnancies. So it's not like, hey, Alexa, what did you take so I can take those two so I can also get pregnant? It's how can I optimize my body to be able to conceive? I waited a long time for this. And this has been the trade-off. Starting this process mid-30s, I don't know what my fertility is like. I don't know how easy this is going to be for me. I don't know what the timeline is going to look like. It has been more than anything, such a huge lesson in surrender because I can't control really any of it if I'm honest. I'm Alexa, and you're listening to That Sex Check, a Soulfire production. Right, I got a repeat offender on the show for y'all today. A functional medicine doctor, Doc Jacques. Welcome back to That Sex Chick. Thank you so much. Happy mm. to be here and happy to talk about you today. It's going to be fun. Yeah, you know, everyone is just so interested in what the heck I'm doing. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, though, I think some of you are actually interested in what I have done from the holistic health perspective. I think that people are curious, which I, I find mildly to moderately entertaining that People want to know my opinion on things and want to know what I've chosen and why I've chosen it. And, you know, when I take a step back, it makes sense to me because I also like people that I follow and I respect and all of that are on the internet. If they say that they like something, I'm like, oh, let me look it up. So it makes sense because I do that too, you know? Yeah. Go figure your followers would do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I always want to encourage it. I don't push lots of people and lots of different products and any of that stuff. And so like when I really find someone that has helped me in a big way, then I want to showcase them and I want to highlight them no matter what they've got going on, whether it's like directly connected to sex or not, like this just happens to be a portion, you know, what you do affects, well, depending on how you look at it, one very specific bracket of sex that's had, which is for fertility and to make babies. But also I think this is for people feeling good. And when you feel good and your hormones are balanced and everything's firing effectively and you're not bloated and your hormones are doing the good thing and all that, and then it's like you want to, you have a great sex drive. You have a healthy sex drive and feel good in your body. So, you know, I would say the fertility piece is just one little section of the under the that sex chick umbrella, but, but really it affects everything, I think, and how you show up, how you feel in your body, your connectability to your partner, irritability, your energy levels, et cetera. Am I right? Absolutely. Yeah. On all fronts on that. Yeah. I mean, you can't really feel sexy if you're bloated all the time, you're constipated, or if you have no energy at all, if you're constantly stuck in that fight or flight state, your body doesn't want to have sex. So yeah, in order to to increase that intimacy and be able to have a better relationship with your spouse, you got to work on all these things and be the best version of yourself. Yeah. So when I had you on the show last time, which was quite a while now, we weren't working together. I just wanted to talk about holistic naturopathic medicine. Like I just wanted to have the general conversation of how that plays into fertility because at the time I was preconception. Like it was the window of time where we knew it was coming, but we weren't really there yet as far as trying to make a baby. And so when we experienced the miscarriage at the end of 2022, I think, can't remember how soon after that happened that I reached out to you because I got to a place where I basically was like, first off, I knew my my life and how I'd set up my work and my business and all of that was just really overwhelming. And I was trying to heal from something that happened in my body and of course happened emotionally for me as well. But I also had all of these commitments and things that I had to do with my work at the time. And it was just really me pouring from an empty cup. So I knew that my stress was really high. But I also, you know, was experiencing this, going through this miscarriage and healing. And a lot of the stuff on the internet said it's normal. It happens. It's a part of the process. And here I am, you know, speaking to people in, you know, in my community, my extended community. And they're like, so many people had had that happen, especially before baby number one or in between baby one and two. And so it was reassuring in some ways to have conversations with other women that were saying, you know, like, it also happened to me and I went on to have healthy babies and, and it's tough and you're going to get through it. And that was really relieving. And so I, you know, like the first wave on an emotional front, I felt somewhat settled. Like, okay, this is normal. It's not me necessarily. Like we don't know that unequivocally that like something is wrong, so to speak, with me and my fertility. Like this is a very common thing. It happens super early. 
And so I was trying to like reach my peace with that. But then I also had this drive and this won't come as a surprise to you, Dr. Jacques, or to any of our listeners that like, I have a little bit of a, like a, like an anxious, like seemingly erotic kind of tendency where I'm like, I just need to figure this out. (laughs) And I'm working with it. You know, I have a much better relationship with it now than maybe ever in my life. And I have a lot of great things in my life to thank for some of those tendencies. So it's not, it's not all bad, but anyway, basically just got to this place where I was like, okay, I know that it's common, but is there something I can do? I really wanted to feel like I was being proactive, you know, and I felt like I was being proactive ahead of time because I was working with functional medicine prior to, you know, wanting to conceive for the year beforehand. And so I just like felt in this place of like, okay, it's been a while since I've checked on what's going on within me. And if there's something I can optimize to prevent grief from occurring again. I want to do it. And so I was kind of straddling this line of soothing myself and telling me, don't take it personally. And there wasn't anything that I could do to prevent it. And then on the other side of the line, if there's something I can optimize to prevent it from happening again on any level, even if it's just a mental placebo effect, I would like to do it. And so I messaged you, I sent you a DM on Instagram and I'll let you fill in some blanks after that. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you, you sent the message on, on Instagram and like what we talked about on, on the previous episode together, you know, when anybody comes to me, whether it's for, for health or, or for fertility in general, there are three main things or three main pillars that I'm going to want to uncover or stones that we want to overturn. So the big things when it comes to fertility is I, I have what I call the fertility triad. So it's either that you're too stressed, you're too infected, or you're toxic. And that could be something from mold toxicity. You know, we talked about, you know, you're growing up and, you know, your environment back then. Oh, yeah. Versus right now, right? So we went through that. And I knew you to be a very successful entrepreneur as well. And whether people want to admit it or not, that's high stress. So I knew that there's at least two buckets that we were going to have that were already starting to overflow based off of what I knew about you. And then we ran a stool test, which to me is one of the most overlooked categories when it comes to fertility. But it's also one of the most highly researched areas with fertility that I don't think a lot of people know about. And so there are certain infections or certain environments. I mean, even just having that, the whole term leaky gut can increase your risk of miscarriage or increase your risk for infertility just from having an inflamed gastrointestinal tract with some gaps in there. So we basically, we tested you. We found out where you were and we had the unknown known. We flipped over that rock. We had some infections in there. We started attacking it. And yeah. then he got pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Wild. It worked. <laughs> yeah. Go you figure, know, right? You know, and I have a doctor that, you know, she she's only a gynecologist now. She's not in obstetrics anymore. But one of my favorite lines that she says is, trust your healthy body. Trust your healthy body. And so, you know, I want to make sure that when I hear your healthy body that I actually feel like I've, I could say, yes, healthy body. I track macros and I want to make sure that I'm getting enough protein intake and I'm conscientious of sugar intake and certain, certain kinds of fats and certain, you know, and I, and I, and I look at that and I'm like, okay, and I'm, and I'm active and I lift a, a couple to a few times a week and I go on long walks. And so like when I hear like trust your healthy body, I can take a sigh of relief and go, yeah, my healthy body, because I've been proactive with it. You know what I mean? Versus mm-hmm. passive in, in this and just like being a victim to, to circumstances like, oh, well, now I'm experiencing whatever I'm experiencing and I have, I play no role in it. That's it's not, you know, for me anyway, in this situation, that that's not the yeah. case. I know that is the case for other people that it is a genetic situation or it is a, um, I, I want to say deformity, but something that you're born with. Is that a term to use? Deformity? Not deformity. In terms of uh, increased risk of fertility? Like, let's say, so I have a friend that was born without a vas deferens, and I have a a friend that was dealing with uterine septum. So there was like tissue in between her uterus. And so some of these things were things that they were born with, you know, versus they could be proactive with them. Well, one that's born without a vas deferens, well, his wife has to go through IVF every time they want to have a baby because he doesn't have the tube that will bring the sperm into his ejaculate. And for the uterine septum, recognizing that there wasn't anything she could do for her health in order to get that to go away. She actually had to have surgery. So what I'm saying is I'm separate to those people. I discovered over like testing and health and all that, just like looking at things, there wasn't anything that was, that I was born with or that genetically was making it difficult. It was stuff that I could control my health wise. That's what I meant. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. congenital. I think congenital. It's that's what I was looking yeah. for. I was like deformity. That sounds harsh. Do we still yeah. say that? It's a little harsh there. Yeah, I know that was weird. I was like, I don't have another word for that. And I, anyway, so I would love to hear. So you've got your trifecta, which seems to be really effective. And you know, I have one of my dear friends doesn't live in Austin anymore, and I'm really sad about it. She's a Pacific Northwestern girl through and through, but I know they're on their preconception or journey as well. And she listened to the first podcast that you were on and then her and her husband started working with you. And she says, like, when I talk with her, she's like, I feel amazing. And I'm like, get it, (laughs) girl. She's like, even if this wasn't in the direction for fertility, I feel so much better to the point where she was like, I didn't realize I felt so bad. Like I got used to feeling bad. And so anyway, let's kind of double click. I show up to you. I've got a couple of buckets that without testing, you're like, she's probably got a little like red flag over here and probably a couple over there and maybe like one and a half over there. What, what are the tests? Like, what did they test for? And then eventually, you know, like when those results came in, how did we navigate that? Yeah. So, so the tests that we, we ran, do you want me to be specific for, for you in particular? Yeah. Yeah. If that feels good to you. Feels good with me. Okay, great. Yep. So the three three main ones that we we ran for you there again, based off the, your your health history from the past, because that's something that you know you always want to see where people came from. And so one of the things we ran on you was a mycotoxin panel, so mold mold toxin. So we wanted to see, you know, do you have any level of toxicity within the body? And then when we we tested that, we had a couple of things that did show up. There was um, the aflatoxin M one that showed up on that test there. The known mold toxin that comes from a family known as Aspergillus and Penicillium, and it's a highly inflammatory mold toxin. So that was one thing that showed up. So that's a positive find where we had the toxicity bucket was starting to fill up with that particular yeah. one. And I, I think I ran- want to pause just for a second under mold because this is one that yeah. I think it's overlooked a lot. And so let me just like quickly tell you all like where I come from is a very wet place. So I'm from New Orleans. I've lived in houses that have flooded my whole life because I'm, I have lived below the sea level. So I asked my mom, mom, do you think, and I'm going through all this health stuff. I'm like, mom, do you think there's mold in the house? And she goes, of course there's mold in the house. Like no big deal. She goes, what are we going to do? Mold happens. And I'm like panicking. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm like just molding on the inside. Like (laughs) I've been breathing this my whole life. You know, but I have tested for mold a couple of times and I haven't had anything like the first round. I had a lot. And I also went through, I went through protocol for that however long ago. And so I was really nervous that I would still have lots of high markers. And so only see that marker on it felt relieving, but still it would have been cool if there was nothing on it, you know? I mean, yeah, that would have been optimal. Yeah. So (laughs) where do you find, where do you find uh, Aspergillus? It's on food, right? So yeah. aspergillus and penicillium, yeah, you can find it in foods, dried vine fruits, um, wine, peanuts for sure, different types of, gosh, like rice can have it. A lot of the times like aspergillus is going to be found in food sources, but usually if it's if it's under a certain amount, if you look at like the ochratoxin score in particular, it'd be like less than 20 or less than 15 or so, would be more correlated to like food. But aspergillus and penicillium is one of the most commonly found molds in homes. Like we were just up in Maine and I had to leave a house. We, mm-hmm. we checked in within 30 minutes. I felt violently ill and I was just went on searching mode and I went and I looked up at the top of the bedroom that we were going to be staying in. There was some mold deposits that were on the side of the wall right above the bed. And then there was water damage in the paint. The paint was actually peeling off. Like water was actually like rippling down through the side of the house and we had to bolt out. And we've been in this whole battle with this company. We're like, hey, like we need our money. Like we couldn't stay there. I was like falling apart. And so a lot of people, and even in Maine, they're like, well, it was a lake house. So you have to anticipate there's going to be mold and things there. And like, no, like we have to stop normalizing that mold is just a thing that's going to happen. I mean, if we go back all the way into like biblical times, it was written in that mold was a plague on the home and you'd actually have a priest that would come and like figured out if your mold, if the house was like livable or not. Old or they school just remediation. This is yeah, like burn a damn thing down. The original re- remediation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, a, it's a horrible one. And it's sneaky too, because, you know, it, it could just be this subclinical mold where you just walk around with a little bit of brain fog. Or it could be, you know, you constantly have UTIs or candida overgrowth or you have some gut issues. And then you can have a specific 
division of the aspergillus penicillium, which I think we talked about last time, the mycophenolic acid, MPA. And mycophenolic acid is one that's seen the high risk of candida infections, but a high risk of miscarriages. And if you do get pregnant with mycophenolic acid, you actually increase your risk of congenital malformations. So instead of deformities, you can say malformation. Sounds Thank you. a little bit nicer. Thanks. Yeah. So <laughs> having these things, if you've ever been in a wet environment, and I know now we live in Arizona, and I love Arizona because it's like the risk of mold there is minimal. However, it can still be there. You know, I knew a family that was in Arizona and they left Arizona because they had a pipe that burst behind one of their cabinets. And as long as there's water running through your house, you can still be at risk for mold. So don't be dumb about it. Be be honest about it. Is your house up to par? And do you mm-hmm. feel bad going into your house, especially if you're on vacation somewhere, you come back, does your health plummet when you come back into your home? Yeah. That's the first sign that there may be something wrong or something affecting you while you're in your house. Yeah. And I have, I have some friends that as soon as they go into a home, they know, like they know one gets a low level headache and the other ones like has some other symptoms that come up almost instantly. And so we travel as a group. And that's a very important thing. You know, she's on it. Like, I want to make sure when was the house built? I'm asking questions about if they've had any leakages and if there was any, you know, pipes or leaks, you know, how was that handled? And so she goes out of her way to ask those questions. And we're all so grateful for it, for sure, because it's not it's not just her. And the thing was that she never had an issue with it until she did have an issue with it and was in an environment that was really bad. And now it's it's like her little alarm bell, you know, she's like canary in a coal mine kind of situation. (laughs) And so, you know, we go into a place and she's like, oh no, we got to get out of here, you know? (laughs) So, and, and so it's, it's big, you know, and, and for different friends, I think that they've had different issues with it. Everything from neurological issues to brain fog and just feeling really, really bad and feeling sick consistently. And so that's not a sleeper. And I totally agree with what you said, like we've got to stop normalizing it. So I told my mom, so I I go and stay occasionally and they, they love when I come into town, but I exclusively stay with my sister, which I'm allergic to cats which I don't know how to fix that. That would be great. I'm not like severely allergic to cats. I just like sneeze and itch and it's it's and cough and all the things. And they've got inside outside cats that just kind of peruse in and out. But I take that over how I feel when I go at my mom's house, because not only has there been lots of like rain and water and storm damage, but there's also been bathroom leakage that they let go on for a really long time and didn't fix for a really long time. And it, and I think that that just after that, there's just like been a hole in the foul in the ceiling, the, the leak and the whatever. And, okay. and I'm just like, I can't be in here. It literally smells like must, you know, like it's so strong. And they're like, well, we just, we put the fans on. I'm like the fans, yeah. I'm like, that's not, <laughs> I'm like, mom, you know? So now that I'm pregnant, I go, mom, I love you so much. And this baby means, you know, everything to her. It's the first grandchild yeah. in 18 years, basically. Yeah. My stepsister has a 10 year old. So I'll say this is the first grandbaby. This is the first baby in the family in over 10 years. Yeah. And I go, mom, I love you so much. I'm not bringing that baby in that house. And so she goes, all right, I'm telling Ernie, that's my stepdad. I'm telling Ernie, we got to get this shit sorted now. <laughs> I'm like, that's awesome. what it takes. That's what <laughs> She's like, my grandbaby needs to know me. You need to be able to come and yeah. stay. I'm like, I, you know, I agree. So she wanted to, she, yeah. she will not do it for her children. She will, because to her, I could be full of shit still, but for grandbabies, she will do just about anything. (laughs) Yeah. That was basically tear up a little bit. I'm like, man, like, again, bringing this child into the world is not just going to help, you know, you and and, and Jordan have something amazing and magical, but it's also going to help with your parents, you know, your your mom and your stepdad. They're going to be in a healthier environment, which means their health is going to improve too. So I love seeing this kind of ripple effect from you taking care of your health is now affecting and impacting other people in a very positive way. This is awesome. And, you know, I'm, I don't know if she's really convinced, like for her own health, yeah. but to see her yeah. grandchild, that's yeah. the motivator. And so I'll take it, you know, I yeah. won't sit there and try. I'm like, but you need to listen to this podcast episode, mom. Like she's just not going to do it. So, and I love her dearly. <laughs> I love them all dearly. But anyway, okay. So we can move on from mold. That was the, that was the one I it felt um, important to share, like some of the backstory <laughs> for, for the mold situation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the the other test we like to run as well is the Dutch test. So we we run a Dutch Plus in particular. So the Plus is going to be a salivary adrenal analysis. So you're going to have what's known as a cortisol awakening response. So what is your cortisol doing as soon as you wake up within 30 minutes? Are you going up by at least 50%? And then are you coming down and fitting in between the lines throughout the day? And then the the Dutch 
piece of it is going to map out like all of your hormones. You know, how does your progesterone look? How does your estradiol look? Your estrone, your estriol, and it maps out every single one of the hormones that you have as as a woman, and as well as for a male, if you're doing a male panel. What's important to note too is when you do the Dutch test, it's going to be a urine analysis, so you're able to get the estrogen metabolites as well. So like the smaller divisions of the estrogens, and you're able to see where the breakdowns are occurring. And we talk about three different phases of estrogen detox. We have phase one, two, and three. And so this test will show you phase one and phase two and how those are doing. So when we looked at your, and I'm laughing as I'm doing it, but when we looked at your adrenals, you basically, your adrenals were asleep like all day long. They were just flatline the whole way across. So that would be more indicative of, you know, the lay person would call like adrenal fatigue. So like a phase three of adrenal fatigue. Now, phase one is the first level problem, phase two, then phase three. Phase four is like your adrenals just don't produce cortisol anymore. It's typically going to be autoimmune related. So when it comes to preparing, just preparing to be a parent, I don't want anybody having adrenals that look like yours. No offense, Alexa, oh, but I, I want I, you to have energy. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> Because there's going to be, it's not just about the conception piece, even if you did conceive. And I think this is important for those who are going through with like IVF and things, you really still have to work on your health because when baby comes, that means you're going to be up at night. And if your sleep isn't good and your energy is not good, then your adrenals are going to consistently break down. And so once you have that magnificent baby that you've always wanted, if your health can't keep up, then it's a lot of times it can actually turn into resentment towards a child because you don't have energy anymore. Then you're fighting with your spouse and then you're gaining weight or you have postpartum depression. And it's just all of this, these emotional roller coasters that you are involved with. So working just from like a, hey, I, I'm thinking about getting pregnant, you better make sure that your adrenals are up to par. So that way you have the energy to keep up with the little kid when it comes. The other piece too, with the cortisol, but the pregnenolone steel or the cortisol steel is when your adrenals are tanked, right? Your body feels as though you're constantly being attacked by a bear or there's always a bear lurking around the corner. So if you just think from a logical standpoint, why would your body conceive and get you pregnant if it feels like a bear is about to kill you? It's not. It's not going to do that. It's it. It's got to prioritize. No yeah, it has to prioritize. Exactly. I have to keep you safe. We can't be yes. doing this other thing. Like all the resources have to go towards fighting or for fleeing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, for fleeing. For fleeing. Yeah. So, so when you have that type of adrenal response, you have to make sure you bring it up so that way your body feels safe, right? Surrendering and feeling safe. And then your body can say, okay, now Alexa feels safe. Her adrenals don't have to constantly be stealing the cortisol or the pregnenolone. Now she can have more hormonal function. She can have progesterone. Her cycle will be better. Her estrogen will be balanced. She'll have energy. She'll have higher testosterone to be able to even be in the mood to have sex. And when you were talking about you know, the, the spousal relationship of things, if you're in that fight or flight as well, it's really difficult to get into mood to have sex. You're tired. And even if you you force yourself to get into the mood, even with hours and hours of foreplay, if you want to, you can still have a difficult time because all of the fluid, all of the energy, all the everything, whatever you want to call it, is going to pull away from those reproductive organs and it could be painful. And I've known a lot of women that suffer with this. They'll have painful intercourse, but they're afraid to tell their husband or their spouse about it because they feel like they just have to kind of suck it up and go through with it. And nobody should really have to feel that way in this. So getting your adrenals to feel good, getting your adrenals to give you energy, give you the hormones that you're supposed to will fully optimize who you are. And then like you said, with the healthy body, you know, healthy body or healthy people have healthy kids. So the healthier you are, the healthier your child's going to be as well. Mm. If there's anything you want to add to that. No, that was great. You know your stuff. You know your (laughs) stuff. You know your stuff, which is why I came to you. I was like, nobody's described this in a way. And has and has been as cool as you, <laughs> you know. I appreciate that. Like I've had but, I've had other yeah. people that I've like spoken with. I'm like I don't know. I still don't know. I've like spent so much money. I'm like I still don't know what yeah. I'm doing here. And yeah. like they smell funny. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I just made that up. I just made that up. Nobody Fair smells enough. funny. Sorry um, to anybody in the past. But. No, 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 no. I'm just making that part up for for fun. So that Dutch test was was the doozy out of the tests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it felt it felt so purposeful when I finally like opened the box and I read all the instructions and I was like, all right, I have to suck on this. 
little cotton thing and then I got to put it in the yeah, tube the and, then I got, and then I got to put it in the freezer and then I got to pee in a cup and then I got to dip this paper in it and then I got to let it dry. And I just had like dried pieces of pee paper all <laughs> over the counter and I'm like, Jordan, yep. just don't even, you know, and doing the, the micro or the GI lab, which we haven't even, we haven't gotten yep. to that one yet. Yep. It's like, well, I've got poop in the fridge. I've got, mm-hmm. you know, dried pea papers on the counter and I've got my spit yeah. is in the freezer. <laughs> I'm just like, Basically, all your bodily fluids are around the house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just a mess over here. Yeah. So, so that was one, it was really interesting to like do everything at the times. And I had, I had timers set on my phone so that I could get them yeah. all at the right times. And then getting that information back, that was the one that was kind of hard to receive that information. You know, with the yeah. molder, I'm like, okay, cool. There's going to be a protocol for that. If there's stuff in the gut, there's going to be a protocol for that. But when it came to my hormones, I was like, there, that could be affected by so many different things. And with the adrenal thing, something that I would love to hear your perspective or how you would describe this. So I think some people think that if they're in a heightened state, they've got high cortisol. So for me, I was in a heightened state. I was having a really hard time regulating. It would be a normal, regular conversation that I'd be in that norm under normal circumstances, I can process, not flooded, meaning like I'm not activated. My nervous system's not, you know, just like all of a sudden very, I'm not experiencing really intense sensations, like a normal conversation. Jordan's asking me a question in this particular state, this particular time of life, however many months ago, that normal conversation would have sent me into tears, would have sent me into panic. Like that's how my body was processing. Like it's a simple question about something that has to do with work or something that has to do with a client. And all of a sudden I'm panicking. My breathing is, is labored. I'm having to prevent myself from disassociating where I'm like kind of going out of my body. I feel so much intensity and sensation. Like my entire chest is on fire. My throat's on fire. And the only thing that makes it go away is like if it all just stops, but like life doesn't happen like that. Life doesn't just stop and give me a break, especially we want to have child, you want to have a family, they don't just, you know what, mom needs a break all day, you know, like it's just, it's not, it's not sustainable. It is not sustainable. And so, you know, getting the information of my adrenals being in the place that they were in. And then for me, you know, the cortisol was very low. It was like, it started out normal and immediately went to low. Our favorite place to shop for crystal glass and metal toys is Yoni Pleasure Palace. Sacred squirters, cervix serpents, yoni eggs, prostate massagers, anal plugs and beaded wands, G-spot massagers, and something Jordan and I use all the time and even travel with, our plush velvety waterproof blanket. Every product feels so special when it comes from YPP. It's probably because of the care that is taken not only in the development of the toy, but in the packing and delivering of the toy. When you collect, because it's definitely a collection of sexy works of art, when you collect a new item, it comes with not only information on how to use it, but to also respect and revere it, along with cultivating respect and reverence for your own body and your own sexuality. I can't sing YPP's praises enough to add to your collection. Visit yonipleasurepalace.com and make sure to use the code that sex chick, all one word, at checkout for 15% off your order. And pretty please, if you share your items on social media, tag me. I'd love to see what you choose and celebrate you. So if you could describe like the difference between the high and the low, and then what the cortisol, basically it being low for my other hormones, that then those other hormones are the ones that are directly involved in me getting pregnant and staying pregnant. Yeah, so so with the different phases of adrenal, we'll just call it adrenal fatigue. And for the sticklers out there, if you're like, oh, it's not the adrenals, it's the brain. Yes, it's a signal from the brain. The HPA axis basically needs to send signals to the adrenals to produce cortisol. When there is an initial stress state that happens, again, we'll just use a bear to keep it consistent. You see a bear and you're like, oh, shit, a bear. Cortisol goes up and DHEA goes up. Okay, so cortisol long term can become catabolic. It'll break things down. DHEA is a precursor to testosterone, which is anabolic. So the two kind of cancel each other out. If your body then does not come back down to homeostasis or normal healthy balance, what's going to happen is your cortisol is going to stay high. DHEA is going to drop low. So you're going to start breaking your body down. And then as that goes on for a period of time, that's a phase two. I'm sorry, phase one. Phase two is in now you have like 
low level ish cortisol, low DHEA. You're going to have high moments, low moments where you're overwhelmed or you're going to feel like you're a crackhead running around with tons of energy and then you're going to be plummeted down. That's kind of like the in-between warning track. And then a phase three is like where you were, where your cortisol was really low, DHEA was really low as well. So the tricky part with that too is if you're listening to that and you're like, oh, I feel like I'm a phase one or I feel like I'm a phase two or phase three, they can all have crossover symptoms in each category, which is why testing is so important to figure out where you actually are within this. Now, with how this relates to your hormones, if you go and I'll just tell you to do this, type in steroid hormone pathway on Google. So like when you're done listening to this or pause this and, and go do that, you'll see how all the hormones kind of flow together. And so the first hormone that you have, so you have your cholesterol backing, then you make it this hormone called pregnenolone. Pregnenolone is the mother hormone because it gives birth to all other hormones. From there, it goes pregnenolone, and then it goes into your progesterone. So for females, progestation, it allows you to have your menstrual cycle. It allows you to become pregnant. It's also one of the most tightly monitored markers through pregnancy to make sure that your body does a good job. And then eventually, the baby basically makes its own progesterone, so you don't have to worry so much about it. If your body then doesn't have a healthy relationship with stress, right? Progesterone breaks down into two different molecules, but it goes over to cortisol. If your body constantly feels like you're stressed out, then all the pregnenolone is going to go from pregnenolone to progesterone to cortisol. And it's just going to steadily flow that way. Like you turn on a flooding, like a hose and just all the hormones go there. The second piece of that is that you have that for the female side of things. And then you'll have this other side that drops in from pregnenolone to DHEA. DHEA then drops down to androsterone, which converts into some testosterone in there. There's ediacolinone and some other ones in there as well. And then that goes over and gives you your estrogens too. So everything kind of flows like water when it comes to your hormones. So when you're stressed and your adrenals are not where they're supposed to be or you're inflamed, your body's constantly throwing all of your hormones, all of your pregnenolone into that stress response because it needs to do that to keep you safe until you get away from the proverbial bear. So your testosterone will drop. You'll have these hormonal imbalances. You could develop estrogen dominance as well because progesterone will drop. You'll still have some estrogen here, and so therefore you'll have some estrogen dominance, or you'll be massively inflamed because your body's breaking itself down. You'll develop you know, PCOS, or you can have uh, some insulin resistance in there as well, which is also a precursor in PCOS, some endometriosis. All of these things can happen all just due to that stress response coming from the adrenals. So it is really important if you're just looking for overall health or you're looking to conceive, make sure that those, that those adrenals are tip-top shapes so that way you can conceive. And then when you do have baby, that's not going to topple you over in the end. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so how I interpret it is that if you really stress the fuck out and your cortisol is not in an optimal range, it will, the way that you were describing it to me before is that it will steal the other hormones. It will take the other hormones and it will turn it into, it will try to make it into cortisol so that you do have enough of that hormone to fight the proverbial bear. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. so, you know, what do you do? You know, and I think a lot, I think a lot of women would fall into one of those categories, you know what I mean? Because of the way modern society in the world, you know, sets things up as far as, you know, like there's a lot of reasons why a woman in particular would be stressed the fuck out. <laughs> you know, so yeah. what do you do? So there's a, there's a lot of things to that, right? So we, we talk about stress and a lot of people just think stress is just the, you know, if we have financial stress, we have like these external stresses and things that are going on in our lives. So you want to make sure, number one, you have a, a healthy tribe or a healthy circle of people around you. We're, we're humans. We're designed for human interaction. We want to be surrounded by really good, positive people. That's like step one whether that's creating boundaries with family members or friends that may have served a purpose in a season of your life, you want to kind of protect yourself from any additional stress that you may be, that you may be under, you know, just wall that stuff off. There are other things you can do from like a spiritual standpoint, whether it's meditation or you can just do some grounding, some breath work, things like that to just kind of drop your state down and kind of calm you down a little bit more. And then the other thing that people don't know too much about, or maybe they do, is you can also be causing more stress to your body than, than you think. And so people will say, I'm stressed out, but when I exercise, that's my outlet, right? And so if somebody in your adrenal state, right, your adrenals are just completely shut down, you're catabolic already. Things are already breaking down. Your muscle tissue is already breaking down to release amino acids in the body. And then you go and destroy yourself in the gym and push you further into a catabolic state. 
you're continuously causing that cycle of stress. You're adding another bear into the picture, if you will. So I've had patients and I actually have one, I think you referred to me as well, where I'm like, calm down on the working out. And she's like, I can't like, that's just, I'm like, trust me, calm down with it. And I just had a call with her yesterday and she was like, I have such a healthy relationship now with the gym losing weight. This is like a three week follow-up and like, she just started care. She's, she's losing weight. She's feeling great. Her skin feels great. She's doing all these amazing things. So she just eliminated one of the bears in her life. And so what's going to happen is then she's going to have more cortisol naturally, then it's going to spill over into some of these other hormones so that she'll feel optimal. The other piece that I'll say everybody misses is the gut side of things. So the infections or even the mold, right? If we have things within us that are causing inflammation, that inflammation is is a threat to the body, it's stress. So it's going to also cause harm to the adrenals. So if we're constantly just doing breath work or meditating work. It's like taking a holistic pill. It's not that it's a bad thing. We're just constantly trying to regulate ourselves when we're just missing the boat on what's actually causing our body to be out of that harmony or out of that homeostasis. So like in the picture, when we ran a stool test with you, we found infection. And so we found an infection that has a high correlation causation to infertility, miscarriages, basically everything under the sun. So you eliminate that we got rid of another bear. Like how many bears, I guess, for an analogy, how many bears do you have in your life that we have to, that we have to get rid of? A whole family of bears. (laughs) And they're coming for me. The Goldilocks and the three bears or like, what is it? What what are they? And yeah, the more you can analyze that, the more you can, you know, really see with, with the proper filter, what are my bears? What are my stressors? Then we start picking them off one by one and there's like the, the protocols and stuff that I use for re- reestablishing the adrenals were from a Mayo Clinic study that they'd done how many years ago. But they were basically like, how can we correct the adrenals while addressing diet and lifestyle to be able to fix the adrenals and send you off into the sunset that your adrenals now produce the proper amount of cortisol, DHEA, et cetera. So we stack those protocols with some removal protocols, right? Remove the inflammatory foods, remove the infections, get rid of some of those other bears. And then the body just comes together like it's supposed to, and you start healing. And that's Mm. when miraculous things can happen. Mm. Yeah. Those supplements do not taste good. (laughs) I know. (laughs) The drop. uh, The drops. I have to... I'd have to like do a few breaths and like, I had like a whole little stack. I'd be like, I do this and then I do this and then I swallow and then I, and then I drink something. (laughs) Yeah. You know, they're not not the best. Yeah. You know, but they work. work. (laughs) That's the thing. You know, I, that, that momentary discomfort is so much more worth it to me than the long-term grief of, but I can't take it because it tastes nasty. Get over yourself. Yeah. Like, yeah. Stop. The one thing that I did say absolutely no to, though, was that chase berry extract only after crossing into like actually being pregnant, because yeah. there are some things that are absolute no's now that that's what has happened. <laughs> like, I'm a hard yeah. no to that. But I mean, I still take it in the pill form. But anyway, yeah. so we wound up doing stool tests, which actually, you know, even with the background that I shared about the mold and the whatever, the thing that I have historically been challenged by the most has been gut stuff. I had my gallbladder removed when I was 17. I have grew up in South Louisiana, like I said. And so I grew up with a very particular kind of unhealthy diet that was on rinse and repeat every week. You know, I also grew up in with a single mom in the military and the generation of kids' cuisines and microwavable meals and hamburger helper, cheeseburger macaroni to be very specific. That was all that I wanted as a kid. I did not like vegetables. I didn't want, there was no healthy stuff that was ever really presented to me. It wasn't, it wasn't introduced as a kid, you know? And so it has been really interesting to like grow up into an adult and I'm actually annoyed by it sometimes, you know, like there's things that I don't like that I'm annoyed that I don't like it because my life would be easier if I liked it. And then you know, I've grown up and I'm like, you're going to mature, you're, you're going to mature your palate, you're going to expand, you're, you're going to work on this Lex. And then I found, you know, the, my whole favorite group of vegetables fucks me up, cruciferous. So broccoli, cauliflower, bok choy, Brussels sprouts. I love Brussels sprouts. Within 30 minutes, I am swollen like a balloon because of the cruciferous vegetables. And those are essentially the only vegetables I'm interested in as far as taste goes. 
And so I've just really had a challenging run with figuring out how to be healthy with regards to my nutrition choices. And, you know, and I could say, you know, oh, this is my upbringing's fault and yada, yada, yada. But then that actually makes me a victim to my past. And that's not empowering. And that's actually stressful. And so I have looked at it as like, how can I, how can I really expand? And, you know, thank goodness I am partnered with Jordan because he eats for health. He doesn't care that it's something different every day. So, you know, I get to this point where I'm like, it's Japanese sweet potatoes and ground meat and like a salad with nuts and seeds and different things on it. And I'm like, and that's food, you know, like we're a one item, like one ingredient per, you know, food source, like per macros, essentially. Mm -hmm. And he's totally fine with it, you know, and I more or less eat for health as well. Pregnant Alexa eats like a toddler. (laughs) so far anyway, but I can feel expanding a little bit. My only like so far smelly food aversion is I am, I normally eat salmon a couple times a week. I in the fridge right now. I don't even want to open the door to the refrigerator. (laughs) I like this is terrible. But the first few weeks of pregnancy, it was, I want steak. I want red meat or I don't want it at all. I was like, I want a burger. I want ground meat. I want like steak. I want, I also really like Mm -hmm. burritos. And normally I, would be like neither here nor there about these things. I'm like, sure, yeah, I'll have that. Yeah. But this is like, I must have this now. <laughs> so anyway, all kind of bringing it back. Gut stuff has been a challenge for me for a variety of reasons. When I was in college, yeah. I was on proton pump inhibitors a couple to a few times a day. I was very stressed out and I had a really hard time with acid. And then as I've just grown, you know, gotten older, IBS has been an issue, then constipation. I like went many, many years not knowing what like going to the bathroom, pooping every day. Like if you thought this was too much information, y'all listening, like we're really going there. So I had an issue where I was just like, I don't know what it's like to live not constipated. You know, it would be, I would go and I would feel better. And then three days, two to three days would pass and I would be fucking miserable, like so uncomfortable and it would always be a struggle. And so that was really, some of those things were really my entrance into holistic medicine. Because if I were to go to a traditional doctor, they would be like, here's a prescription of something that will just fuck it up worse. So anyway, the gut stuff is not a surprise whenever I, that's the one that I would say I'm the most nervous about with regards to like what's going to be going on in there again. And so what are the various things that could show up for people, the most common things that could show up for people, and what is the impact on their life? Yeah, so I would say that the most common infection that I see is is the one one of the ones that you had, so the the Helicobacter pylori. And when you were talking about back back in the day back in college and stuff being on proton pump inhibitors, H. pylori is found in about 80% of stomach ulcer cases. So it has that impact on actually suppressing stomach acid. And a lot of people will have like acid reflux. They're like, well, I probably have way too much acid in there. So I need Tums. I need antacids or proton pump inhibitors. I need to suppress this stuff. When in reality, your body, when you throw food in it, your body's like, I can't break this down, Alexa. So please get this out. So it tries to like contract and push the food back up into the esophagus. And as a byproduct of that, there's bringing some of that acid and it's burning out the esophagus. And then you can have things like I had in high school, which was gastroesophageal reflux disease or GERD. And they're like, oh, you're going to have stomach cancer for sure. So I see H. pylori. Now I'm totally fine. But <laughs> I had H. pylori and a lot of people have this H. pylori and, and it's incredibly easy to spread from person to person. And that's probably what makes it the most difficult. And it's incredibly resilient. You know, if you go medical wise, they try to kill it with four antibiotics to try to, try to kill this damn thing. And they screwed up half the time. So when, when we work on tool side of things, we always want to make sure, you know, do we have H. pylori? And if so, what do we need to do? What do we need to take to be able to eliminate that infection to make sure that your body is healthy enough to continue on? The other thing that we'll see quite often is just like a kind of a segue from H. pylori, but actually a decrease or hypochlorhydric state where you don't have enough stomach acid, which means you can't break down your food and you can't sterilize your food. So if you have parasites that you somehow eat from you know contaminated food or water and it goes into your stomach, but you don't have that proper pH or you don't have enough of that acid, well, then the parasite's like, sweet, I can just slide right through and make myself nice and comfy and cozy in this gut right now, and you can't do anything about it. So stomach acid is probably the second thing that we see most commonly is that we're just completely suppressed. 
And when you think about what causes low stomach acid besides the infection, it's really the standard American diet. So we have gluten. Gluten causes a suppression, and I'm going to get nerdy, but these parietal cells that produce the stomach acid in, in the stomach. So if we shut that down, and then we have stress, which probably 99.999% of Americans are stressed, that suppresses stomach acid. Then we fast, we eat fast food because we don't have time to stop. Then we're continuously having this problem over and over again where we're not breaking down the food and this undigested food goes into the small intestine, large intestine, causes a ton of inflammation. And then we have symptoms where you go to your doctor and they hit you with antifungals or antibiotics. It's literally creating this shitstorm of just inflammation in your gut. And it's no wonder everyone in the US is dealing with with gut issues. It's just they miss the boat. And GI specialists, GI docs drive me freaking crazy. They're one of my least favorite docs that are out there. There may be some good ones, but I want them to start running like tests that I run or start approaching why these people have these infections to begin with. Don't just be quick to, to medicate and treat. Find out that underlying cause of why. Change the diet and lifestyle and rebuild that gut from inside out. Yeah, well that's, I mean, that's so tough when you've got, if you've got someone who's eating the standard American diet that shows up, like they're not going to go necessarily to someone like you. They're going to show up to whatever their yeah. family practice is that their insurance covers or whatever. And they're going to show up and potentially, I mean, I'm just imagining any of the people that are in the small town that I grew up in, you know, that are clearly overweight that have, you know, like patchy red skin, or they've got like just clearly looking at them, you wouldn't look at them and go, that person's healthy and they show up and they have symptoms and they just want the symptom to go away. And yeah. it's not that easy. That's not how it works. Yeah. You know, you it's know, not. And it, it, <laughs> it just, it just buries you deeper and deeper, right? It's like, it's like spraying over the check engine light in your car where you may be able to get away with it for a while, but eventually your car is going to fall apart. But if we're talking about your body, you only have one body. You know, and you can't really get another one. You can't swap. As far as I know, there may be some weird scientists, some mad scientists learn how to swap bodies somewhere. But as far as I know, you can't do that. So you better take care of the body that we were given and stop spraying over that check engine light. Start doing some some simple things. Be your own health advocate. Avoid things like gluten. I know it's it's so highly emotional where people will come at me and be like, yeah, gluten's amazing. And I'm like, it's not. It's really not. And just avoid some of these bad things. And we should all know at this point that fast food is not good food. And we need to just be present and not be so darn stressed out and not be so so quick to try to force our bodies to get back to work, right? And and I know that you and I, we, we probably both suffer with this, where if we're down for like a day or even an hour in a day, we're like, shit, I can't get all my stuff done. Like, this is horrible. What can I do, right? Or like people message you, what can I take for increase in energy? And I'm like, well... Eat, eat food, those calories convert to energy, but figure out why your energy was down to begin with. Did you burn yourself out? Do you use all your fuel for tomorrow, today already? Like, what are you doing? So if we can just switch our mindset and realize, you know, medicine is there in, in trauma and in like first aid emergencies. You break a bone, if, you, if your gallbladder is about to explode or your appendix is about, then go do that. But then also know that the choices and decisions that you made up until that point is what brought you there. So now you have to look, go hindsight and be like, what bad choices did I make that I can change? How can I empower myself to get my health back on track so it's not just my gallbladder or my appendix that gets removed, right? That the rest of my body can survive and thrive. And when we talked last time, I don't even, if I remember correctly, you weren't even taking bile salts or anything oh, from yeah. the gallbladder. I'm going to be taking bile salts my entire life. Yeah. I've surrendered. I'll tell you that. I no, I was not. I was 30 over 30 years old before and I was having issues. Actually, I was having issues and it was Jordan. It was Jordan's research and like me having all these symptoms and complaints and all this stuff. And he at some point found ox bile in the in the list yeah. and like milk thistle and like something else. Yeah. And he was like, I'm just going to order this supplement. And so I was taking it, but I didn't put any stock in it because like no professional told me. And yeah. though Jordan is like bonafide biohacker bro and is obsessed <laughs> with supplements and takes like no less than 50 to 60 a day by his own accord, no one has told him to. And so he's just, as time goes by, definitely have learned to trust him more and more. But then I wound up 
doing some holistic health stuff, my initial wave. And it was like, you need to be taking, you know, the LVGB or the just bile salts and that kind of thing. And then it's really hit me. Like I, I'm going to be taking this probably my whole life in different amounts to help with the fact that I don't have organ in my body that when I was 17, they told me I didn't need and I was going to function perfectly and exactly as I, and that the pancreas and this and the liver and all this is just going to make up for it. And it's going to be no big deal. And at 17, my mom's there. She had just been to the ER with me having a gallbladder attack. And I felt like my insides were just like ripping apart. Like I was being stabbed and I don't even, I've never even been stabbed, but if I can imagine that's what it feels like. And, and she's like, I just need to help her. I just need to do whatever the doctor says, basically, you know, like my mom grew up in that era of like, you do what the doctor says. And the doctor said, this has to come out that I was, I had no other option. And now as an adult, if that were to be happening, I would go seek many other opinions. You know, I'd start with root cause. Is there any way that I could clear gallstones without having to remove this organ? Like, what does that look like? But they basically told me, If you don't get it removed, you'll have attacks at random and they are excruciating, like excruciatingly painful and still the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. And the doctors there, the nurses there were telling me that women who describe gallbladder attack pain and labor describe gallbladder attack pain being worse than labor pains. And so I'm like, I just remember that from the doctor's office. So I'm like, oh shit, I don't want to have this random. And I'm 17 at the time, about to go to college you know? And so they were basically like, if you don't get it out, the worst case scenario is a gallstone gets trapped in the duct. It goes towards the pancreas. You get pancreatitis. You wind up having to have emergency surgery and you have a huge scar and potentially way more complications. So I'm getting this information and I'm like, basically, I'm so terrified that I'm like, all right, when is, when's the surgery, you know? And here I am in my mid thirties and I'm like still dealing with the after effects of that. Yeah. I mean, if you think about what the gallbladder is used for, right? Gallbladder is used to emulsify fats. Yeah. And so, but what also needs fats to be created? Your hormones, your nervous system, your brain, right? So if you're not able to break down and emulsify these fats, you're just living life, just hoping that you're going to get enough in terms of hormones and, you know, that your liver can try to maybe produce a little bit of extra cholesterol to make up for that demand. But at the end of the day, if we don't have the gallbladder, we see a lot of people suffering with further digestive issues or infertility just from the fact that they don't have one. And so once you, and it's a simple fix, it's not like, it's not like you have to take drops of chase tree or anything or Vitex. (laughs) It's not disgusting, right? So you can just supplement in with that and you're like, okay, good. Like I'm, I'm good. Digestion's a lot better. And it could just be that little tweak. And then your digestion is perfect after Totally. Okay. So kind of to round out our combo. And I, I like that we got to stop and like use me as a point of reference. Cause I think sometimes yeah. without a real point of reference, it just sounds like a bunch of abstract stuff. But like, if I say sure. what my symptoms were and I say my lifestyle and I say like, you know, I think that that kind of helps people like make it more, more real and more tangible for them. So when we first got started, I told you that I'm going to get started with these protocols, but I don't want to wait to get pregnant. (laughs) And I was nervous, you know, I'm like, I want to start this process and I want to be, I want to do the supplements. If anyone's been following me on social media and has been following me on, on Instagram, then you will have seen, like, I've done some unboxing of all the different supplements because you know, Jordan has had supplements that he's been on as well. And then I have them. And, and so I was like showcasing some of them, not showing you all my exact protocol, because I don't want to show you like the label of the bottle. And you think that that's the thing that's going to help you when really this was my prescription. Like this was what you gave to me and be the same thing for other people, maybe similar, but maybe not exactly the same. So anyway, you know, I wanted to get started. I wanted to feel proactive. I think I started supplementing in like January or like maybe early February and wound up pregnant at the end of March. So, you know, just let's kind of like double click on that. What did that look like? Because, you know, ideally I asked you, you know, like ideally how long would I be on this before, you know, you would say to get pregnant. And it was kind of like six months from now. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be 35. I got to get this process started. You want me to be an old lady? I know that's not an old lady y'all, but y'all know if you're listening, you know, clusterfuck of the mental stories and the spiraling that can happen and like the age and all that. I'm like, if you make me wait until then, I will be AMA, advanced maternal age, dog, jock, what, you know? And I, I technically 
am anyway, because I will be 35 by the time baby comes. But yeah, so just like what that was like, you know, somebody wanting to come to you for a particular reason and like, what if like, whoops, pregnant happens, but it's not actually whoops because like we did the thing that equals baby. (laughs) So it's just not a whoops and it's not like a surprise. It was like, oh shit, it worked. (laughs) Yeah. It's like you figured out the cheat code. You're like, oh, there it is. (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, and then what does that look like with regards to like shifting health, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so anytime that that we want to work on conceiving, you know, we, in an ideal world, we want to give at least like three months or so. And like the minimum, because you're basically going to be conceiving from the egg from three months prior. So depending on what your level is of, of health, you're pulling a one from there and then you get pregnant there. So when we were talking about your time frame, that was based off, and I'm really glad that you said that, like, it's not a one size fits all for, for pregnancies. So it's not like, Hey, Alexa, what did you take? So I can take those two so I can also get pregnant. It's how can I optimize my body to be able to conceive? So we're going along and I remember you, you sent me a message on on Instagram. I think it was over the weekend. I'm like, do, 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 do. And I'm like, oh, damn, sweet. <laughs> like pregnancy test. Did I sent you a positive you were, pregnancy you test. I was like, curious okay. first. You're like, I think something's going to happen this cycle. I'm not quite sure, but things are feeling different. Yeah. Then you send me the picture. I'm like, awesome. Fantastic. Like we did it. We're there. So it's not like a, a whoops. It's like, good. We made it to our goal. Like our goal was to be able to conceive. Now it's just adaptation. What do we need to switch? What do we need to change in the terms of your protocol to help to support you with your fertility journey? You know, you're already taking plenty of things for like the prenatals and the vitamins and things like that that you needed to have a healthy conception and as well as pregnancy. And then it was just making some changes with, you know, are there certain supplements that you would need to come off of so that we're not killing or removing while we're in that first trimester to get you through into into just becoming pregnant and baby being self-sufficient. So with the way, when I know people's goals have an idea and you're not the first person this has happened to either. This happens quite frequently actually. It's like I've had one friend, uh, it was when I, it was like six years ago or so when I started doing this stuff, she texted me like two months into care and apologized for getting pregnant. And I'm like, are you stupid? Like, I love you. Like, this is awesome. Like, this is exactly what we were going for. She's like, but I didn't get a chance to detox before I conceived. I'm like, you're fine. But baby comes out perfectly healthy, perfectly naturally. Like, everything goes the way that it's supposed to. So, you just have to know. And if you're working with somebody, whether it's working with me or another functional doctor, and I told you this, like, I have to be one of the first people to know that you can see so we can change different doses. I don't want to push certain hormones. I don't want to push your adrenals to do certain things or rev you up. I want to basically bring you back down into that nice homeostatic balance and then maintain, you know, trying to do the healthier diet and things, which, you know, it's pregnant. You're going to have these cravings and things, but making sure you're prioritizing sleep, prioritizing proper movement, and really focusing on that diet and lifestyle as the main staple piece while supplementing in nutrients that you need to just have a healthy pregnancy. Yeah. And then there were some supplements that were perfectly fine for me to continue taking. Yeah. However, they have a smell. <laughs> and so I had to stop those just just for a little yeah. while. They have such a smell, which not pregnant Alexa's like, yeah, it's got a smell, but no big deal. Like I would take them and it would be literally no big deal. Pregnant yeah. Alexa has such a smell that even Jordan taking it is a smell. And then I could smell it yeah. on his skin and I could smell it on his breath. And then I wanted to be nowhere around him until I basically had to message you and be like, we both have to come off of this yep. <laughs> until... I can stomach smelling it at this like super intense level. So, you know, somebody said recently, not directly to me, but I I read this, that don't let the first trimester dictate your entire pregnancy. You know, like don't let what happens in your first trimester just like be the thing that that determines all of what your pregnancy is going to be like. And, you know, I was telling you before we started recording that I'm, I know that second trimester, it's like in the next week I cross over, Mm -hmm. which feels really special to say. And I imagine that I will turn a corner at some point and I'll have some of my energy back and I will have less aversions to smells and different things. And I'm not wishing any part of this pregnancy to just hurry up because I waited a long time for this, you know? Like I waited until I was a certain level of perceived maturity on my part. I waited until I was in a relationship with someone that I knew would never leave his children and who would do anything for his family and for me and for our relationship. I waited and this has been the trade-off, you know, is like, will I starting this process mid thirties 
I don't know what my fertility is like. I don't know how easy this is going to be for me. I don't know what the timeline is going to look like. It has been more than anything, such a huge lesson in surrender because I can't control really any of it. If I'm honest, you know, I can try to optimize and I can chart and I can map and I can go, oh, here's my LH surge and here's my window of opportunity. Babe, come here. Like I can control some of those things, but like when it actually happens and how it happens and like God's got a plan and it, like I, I'm like a willing participant in it, but I still don't control any part of it. You know what I mean? Like it is a yeah. major lesson in surrender. And so, yeah, this whole thing has just been really special. So I don't want to like rush and be like, oh my gosh, I can't wait until the first trimester is over, you know? Yeah. No, like one day at a time, one day at a time. And then when this like corner, I turn it and I'm pregnant goddess, that's, you know. This is the joke in the, in the family. Yeah. Turn into a prayer. I'm going to love it, every single part of it. And I'm going to feel like my body. I'm just going to be like, look at me. I, I look so stunning. It doesn't look like I've just like, like I have a lot of gas or like I've just eaten a large meal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to being a bit more available mentally and physically and all of that, you know, to, to move a little more. I've just started picking it back up, going for long walks again. We made it to the gym. Mm-hmm not overdoing it or anything. We're looking at, you know, some prenatal yoga classes, stuff to move a little bit slower, all that. And I'm at the same time, I'm really grateful for what this process has done for my quality of life. You know, I don't feel like, I don't feel great, but at the same time, I love how I am with myself as pregnant and leading up to pregnant. After having that like crash at the end of 2022, I am in the middle of the day and I could do a lot of things and I choose to go lay down. I choose to grab my book. I'm choosing to do things differently. And I think, you know, outside of supplementation and like focusing on this, I think that is one of the other like huge pieces because that was something I was really missing before going into this is really treating myself with kindness and asking myself, what do you need right now? I was missing a big part of my feminine essence and a big part of my feminine energy in the name of wanting to just like close out the year in a certain way and make sure I delivered all the things that I agreed to deliver and all these things. And it was just having such a hard effect on me and my life. And so even in the, in the prep work, I felt like the little guy um, was telling me, you know, it's the meaning that I give it right with the miscarriage that I felt like it was him all along. Like, if you want this, I'm going to just go ahead and hit the test button. Because if you want me, like, if you say you're ready, let's just try all this out. You know, like he, he chose me as his mom. So he knows, yep. <laughs> you know, like, here's your he test run. Up for here's your <laughs> test run, mom. Like, get your shit together. I'm coming. This is just what was in my journey that I needed in order to, like, kind of click these last things into place. And so, yeah, I imagine if I would have waited another couple of months to get that conception check. I might feel a little bit different, but I also think that it happened exactly when it was supposed to happen. And I'm super grateful and I'm grateful to have, you know, holistic care like you on my side and, um, and the team that's kind of forming here, you know, with regards to my care is also really special as well, where we're almost a hundred percent going to go the home birth route. We will see, yeah. You know, we've got to just like map out kind of boring stuff like cost of what home birth will be versus what insurance would cover if I went to the hospital mm-hmm. and just like make sure we're making a decision that's like really what's mm-hmm. best for our family. And if it's marginal, then it's you were going to go, you know, that's like that last little bit that we want to just make sure we do our due diligence. But yeah, yeah, you know, it feels really good to know that like health and the pregnancy and our family and all that is a top priority and we actually treat it like it's a top priority. And of course, my habits around all of these things may totally change whenever a little one is in our world. And so check with me in like a year, but <laughs> but it feels really good to be going into parenthood with this as a top priority. You know what I mean? And and focusing on this being a top priority for our little one that's not, you know, that's like not on the outside yet. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for for being in our corner for Jordan and I and for so many people in this community because, you know, like we were we were chatting before, like there's been a number of people that I have, you know, brought you on the show. This is the second time. I've shared about my journey on social media and people have, have seen it and they've reached out to you. And that is so exciting to me that they are, 
you know, going to take that leap and, and, or take that just first step in reaching out to you and getting on a free, like 15 minute consultation just to see, just to, just to dip their toe even in what could holistic health look like for them. Um, And then I know that there's been a handful of people in the community, like you mentioned someone a little while ago that has fully taken the plunge. And within a week, two weeks, three weeks, the decisions that they're making, the choices that they're making for themselves, or even the supplement protocol, even a month in, they're like, wow, I'm starting to feel better. And that's so empowering. You know what I mean? Because the alternative is you don't feel good. You go some more, let's say traditional routes for the US and it's symptom, it's band-aids. And it doesn't leave you feeling super empowered like you even know yourself or know what's going on. And at this point, I just, I feel like I know myself from the inside out in a very intimate way and it feels so good. So thank you for, for playing a huge role for that, for me, for our family, for Jordan. And then of course, for a number of our community members as well. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. You know, I, I always felt like, and we talked about this beforehand, like, you know, this is something that I, I felt, feel like I was called to do. And, you know, it just kind of fell into my lap with how we created these protocols and procedures. And we've been helping people for the last almost 10 years now doing this, this work. And I love it. And I love seeing your results. I love seeing other people's results. I'm tired of people functioning less than their 100% potential, you know, and there's more for you out there. If you're ignoring it, if you're just going traditional, like you said, what, like American traditional, you're not at a hundred percent, you're just getting by. So if you're open to, to putting the work in, to figuring out what those bears are in your life, there's so much more for you out there. And that's what we're here for. Yeah. All right. So if people want to reach you, I know they can find you at Doc Jacques on Instagram, they will link your website in the show notes, also link your free 15-minute consultation in the show notes as well. Is there anything, any last thing that you want to share with our audience or a way that you'd like to connect with them? Yeah. I mean, just reach out in any way you can. Just like Lex was saying, if you if you shoot me a message in DMs, it's doc underscore jock. Shoot me a message in DMs. Let me know how you heard about it. And if you want that 15-minute call, just hit that link. 15-minute calls are awesome because you get to get a feel for what I bring to the table and how we can fit together. And you know, in those 15 minutes, are we a good fit for each other or not? And if so, at least you didn't have anything to waste, you know, just 15 minutes, everyone can spare that. And if you need to move on, go for it. If you want to work with me, awesome. We can go from there. Great. I love it. I love it so much. Thank you again for sharing your wisdom and spending your time. I know it wasn't the most convenient time with where you're at (laughs) in the world and travel and everything. And so I super appreciate you and making this episode happen. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you extra, extra loved it, make sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see y'all next week.